you make a promise, make it yes, yes, no, no, do the best you can to fulfill it, as it were, and don't try to dictate the consequences or dictate what God should do. Because he says, look, you can't even make a hair on your head white or black. I know what you're thinking. Yes, I can. I did that this morning. But that's a different issue, all right? You've changed the color, but you haven't changed the nature of your hair. And I, w- I know that some of you wish you could. I just changed the nature. I don't have to put that stuff on anymore. Or maybe you could wish you could get some back. Whatever it might be, you can't do it. Okay, that's a pretty simple thing, isn't it? A couple of hairs on your head. Maybe change the gray back to a little bit of black. Welcome again to Grace Maryville Weekly, which is a podcast ministry of Grace Community Church located in downtown Maryville, Tennessee. The sermon you are about to hear is a part of a sermon series presented by Pastor Chris Reiser from the book of Matthew. Pastor Chris has sought to demonstrate that Jesus is the King, which is the overall theme of the book of Matthew. It is our goal to provide messages on Monday and Friday weekly from the pulpit at Grace Community Church to equip the saints for the work of ministry and to call everyone to repent and believe. Let's listen now as Pastor Chris works exegetically through the text. It, it, since the time it became the capital of Israel, it was. The temple was there, ultimate was placed there. God dwelt there. And Jesus was there as the great king. Jesus left, but what did he say? I'm coming back. And where am I going to reign from? Right there. Don't swear by Jerusalem, because Jerusalem is the city, remains the city, and will be into the eternal state, the city of the great king. Don't try it, because it's there. Well, and then it almost seems like they would switch, you know, they would switch gears at times, perhaps in their oaths, If none of that worked, well, let's try something. Let's maybe try discussing the consequences. Let's maybe talk about what the consequences are. So Jesus said, make no oaths, because every vow is in God's name. And then he said, also don't make oaths inappropriately, because all consequences are under God's control. Because look at the next attempt to make an oath here. How about verse 36? You shall not make an oath by your head for you cannot make one hair white or black. Here's what seemed they were doing now. So, well, if I don't do that, just let me be struck dead. That seems to be the indication of, uh, by my head, kill me, or I'll be killed, or I'll die. If I don't do that, I mean, that's, I mean, that's solemn, isn't it? I mean, if this is true, and maybe even, might, might God strike me dead? Now, Unfortunately, I have been privy to, was close counsel with, I wasn't in the meeting when this happened, to a a group of elders who were actually being disciplined out of a church because they had been, it had been factually demonstrated that they had sinned in a variety of ways. And one of the elders tried this. He came up and he said, if any of these things are true, may God strike me dead right now. That was a a big hush in the auditorium because it had been proven that most of those things were true. But what was he doing? He was pulling a Pharisee. See, it didn't happen. Look how spiritual I am. I didn't get struck dead. And yet he was guilty as guilty could be. You guys, you can't dictate consequences to God of your oaths. See, God has another time for that man to die. And prayerfully, it's as he repents and works through the issues and all of those things. But that wasn't the time. So you don't tell God when I don't do the oath, I'll die, because God picks the time you die. Don't try that. 
Don't make an oath that way. I'll determine the consequences. God determines the consequences. So don't make oaths like that because you can't make that happen. When you make a promise, make it yes, yes, no, no. Do the best you can to fulfill it, as it were. And don't try to dictate the consequences or dictate what God should do. Because he says, look, you can't even make a hair on your head white or black. I know what you're thinking. Yes, I can. I did that this morning. But that's a different issue, all right? You've changed the color, but you haven't changed the nature of your hair. And I, w- I know that some of you wish you could. I've changed the nature. I don't have to put that stuff on anymore. Or maybe you could wish you could get some back. Whatever it might be, you can't do it. Okay, that's a pretty simple thing, isn't it? A couple of hairs on your head, maybe change the gray back to a little bit of black. Maybe get a few more up there. So who are you to make vows about what you will and will not do and what God will or will not do in response to your puny little power? That, that's the picture. So he says, look, don't, be careful making oaths. And in general, the thing is don't make them at all because you can't determine and make things happen. I think the implication is if you do it all, do it before God and let God do what it is that he will do and be serious about accomplishing it. So all consequences are under God's control. MacArthur says, heaven is God's, the earth is God's, Jerusalem is God's, and every person's head is God's. It is therefore wicked and sinful to use anything of God's, whether his name or a part of his creation, as witnesses to anything that is dishonest, deceitful, insincere, or in the least way knowingly false. God has no separate categories of sacred and secular. Everything that pertains to him is sacred, and all truth is his truth, just as all creation is his creation. Every lie is against God. And therefore, every false oath dishonors his name. So what is the remedy? Jesus says, you may not do this. You may not somehow call God as your witness in deceit. And you must not do that or, to, or determine or direct him in consequences. But here's what you must do. Verse 37, but let your statement be, that's a command. Let your statement be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything beyond these is of evil. R.T. France says it this way, a simple yes or no should be all that is needed as soon as it is necessary to bolster it with an oath in order to persuade others to believe what is said. The ideal of transparent truthfulness has become compromised. And I I want you to notice, two on your outline is make clear, truthful statements. Clarity and truthfulness are righteous because both of those are implied here. It's not just a truthful statement. It's a clear statement, either yes or no. No. I mean, it's the only thing you can ever say. I mean, clearly it doesn't, you know, there are other things to respond to when it comes to promises, but that's the picture. That's the principle. It has to be clear. You're thinking, well, how does that apply? Have you read your phone contract lately? You know what that is. That's obfuscation so that you won't know what they're telling you. And then they get you to pay extra money on things you didn't even know about. That's truth without clarity. How about the latest legislation that just got passed down by, by our legislators? Those things are 200, 300, 400 pages long. They don't even know what they say. And yet they'll bust out the particular, they're, they're just, all they're interested in is one piece of it. And whenever that's violated or something happens, they quickly know where to find that. They do and obligate you to it. And you had no idea it was even in there. Clarity and truthfulness are paramount if we are to please and honor God. And of course, teenagers, you're masters of this. Well, where were you last night? Well, we went here, we went over here, we went around the mountain, and we went down there. Who are you with? Well, some friends, and those friends were here, and those friends. When You know what you're being asked. Were you with so-and-so at such-and-such a place? And you get all the way around. Pretty soon your parents forgot what they asked, and you forgot what you said. And they're like, oh, okay, good. And you go to bed. 
Did you lie anywhere? Well, not directly. You lied. You were not clear. You did, your yes was not yes. Your no was not no. It was all over the place. And you were dishonoring and displeasing God. It needs to be clear and truthful. Now, there's a verse in James which sounds strikingly similar to this. And I wonder why. James 5.12 but above all, my brethren, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but your yes is to be yes and your no, no, so that you may not fall under judgment. That's emphasizing the truthful part of it. If you say yes, it's yes. If you say no, it's no. Now, who wrote that? Well, it's inspired by, by the Holy Spirit, but that's Jesus' brother, his half-brother. I wonder if he heard that somewhere. Well, I'm sure he heard it. Most, he possibly heard it through those who had heard the Sermon on the Mount, or maybe he was there. I just wonder if he heard that at home. <laughs> Jesus doing a little pre-preaching to his brother. Uh, James, that thing you were supposed to do for me, your yes is supposed to be yes. Your no, I, I mean, I just wonder. We don't want to go too far with that kind of thing. But nonetheless, I think he'd heard the principle clearly from Jesus' teaching and probably other places. Warren Wearsby says, Jesus taught that our conversation should be so honest and our character so true that we would not need crutches to get people to believe us. Words depend on character and oaths cannot compensate for poor character. In a multitude of words, there is sin, but he that refrains his lips is wise. Proverbs 10, 19. The more words a man uses to convince us, the more suspicious we should be. This applies at all levels. We want things clear. We want them truthful. Well, let's talk then a bit. I'd like to just broaden this out some. Because again, where we are going, what's underlying all of this, oaths are important and promises are important, but as we've already seen, every word is important. And every word is to be true. Why? Because God is a God of truth. And the things that I'm going to tell you now is you just kind of put underneath a series of things on truth. You can just put them underneath wherever you want on your outline. These are things you know. But I wonder if maybe in your life you have given up the premium on truth because you've gotten discouraged either by your own difficulties in, in telling the truth or by everyone around you that seems to be lying constantly. And you're like, does truth really matter? I know it matters all that much, but does it really matter? Look at all these people getting away with all these lies. Why not me? Why can't I just tell one? Why can't I just misrepresent myself so that I look a little bit better and at least get some benefit from that? These guys are telling big lies. I wonder if maybe we've started to compromise in the area of lying, because this creeps back into our lives so quickly. So I would just like to do a little refresher course for us this morning. Why do we tell the truth? Why are clarity and truthfulness righteous? Because God is truthful. It is his character. Psalm 5710, for your loving kindness is great to the heavens and your truth to the clouds. Psalm 30 verse 10, I've not hidden your righteousness within my... Excuse me, I have not hidden your righteousness within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your loving kindness and your truth from the great congregation. Psalm 89, 14. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Loving kindness and truth go before you. They're the forerunners of God, truth. Everything he says, Christ, true, right. Notice also it's tied directly to justice and holiness. And in fact, always, almost always tied to loving kindness. You cannot be loving if you don't tell the truth. It is harmful. It is devastating. Loving kindness and truth must go together. Justice and holiness must go with truth. It is a part of the character of God that we have too often overlooked. Psalm 119, 160. The sum of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous ordinances is everlasting. That is stunning. The sum of your word is truth. Every 
bit of it is true. It all adds up to that which is true. All the principles put together are true. Everything is true. It is total truth. Could you say that about your words? Probably not. Could you say that about your life? No, but is it our goal? It absolutely is because that is the character of our God. We've forgotten how truthful, how holy he really is. And we allow ourselves to tell lies and live lies. And we don't carefully count the cost of the, of the nature of our God, which is violated when we do this. Truth reflects the character of God. Now, that's God the Father. How about God the Son? I mean, they're all God, one in essence, but three in personality. John 1, 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We saw his glory, glory as the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. John 1, 17, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ, not only in his teaching, but also in his lifestyle. He was perfect in living and perfect in speaking, truthful in both. The perfect combination, the sum of his life was truth. He lived it, and he is our example. We are to live truthfully. John 14, 6, you know the verse. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Well, how about the Holy Spirit? How does he relate to truth? John 15, 26. When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the Spirit of truth truth who proceeds from the father he will testify about me john 16:13 but when he the spirit of truth comes he will guide you into all truth he will not speak of his own initiative but whatever he hears he will speak and he will disclose to you what is to come the spirit of god working in the heart of the apostles to remember what jesus has said but also working in our hearts so that we understand it and so that we can live it he is the spirit of truth and the beauty of this is as convicting as it is to think of that the sum of our words and our lives would be truth, is to know that he has put the spirit of truth in you so that you love truth if you're a believer. See, one of the clearest signs of an unbeliever is someone who doesn't love truth. You know, you might look like the Pharisee, and they thought the Pharisees were righteous and truthful because they'd made all these regulations about what really was truth and what really wasn't, and the people had bought it, and the Pharisees had bought it, and they thought they were truthful when they weren't. You might look like that in the eyes of the world. You're a law-abiding citizen, a really truthful guy or girl, lady, Son, daughter, you look really good. But your heart is riddled with lies and deceit that are never known necessarily by anybody else or not right now. See, this is how I grew up. When we come into the world, liars, but even when I came to Christ, I had this swath of lying in my life this wide and my parents had to work so hard to get it out of me. And they didn't, it's not that they had, that they were responsible to do it all. But by the time I was out from the home, it was about this wide. And the Lord has been working on me all ever since then to narrow it and narrow it and narrow it. It just came natural to me because I was a people pleaser. Arrogant, proud people pleaser. I'll tell you what you want to hear. So I'll look a little bit better. I looked really good. And, and at the time, you know, I came to Christ when I was about 10. I, but So I was a believer, but I was wrestling with telling lies. But I tell you this, if, if your life is full of lying, full of deceit, practiced, calculated, worked through, and you're calling yourself a believer, you're lying to yourself. You're lying to yourself. And that's a horrible place to be because you don't know that lie. You don't understand. I hope this reveals it to you. So God, the father, God, the son, God, the Holy spirit, all bring to us the truth, require of us the truth, but empower us to speak the truth because not only does the spirit of God come to live inside of us, but our hearts are changed so that we love the truth. 
And we have scripture so we know what the truth is and we can live it out for the first time ever when we come to Christ and we just revel in the truth. Is that you? You just love it. I mean, you love to tell the truth, to live the truth. As we'll see in just a minute, even to swear to your own herd if you have to, if it's something that is harmful, it, it, that is, it takes great sacrifice, you maybe even shouldn't have said it, and yet you live it out because you love truth. That's who the believer is. See, God doesn't make any false promises. Numbers 23, 19, God is not a man that he should lie. Isn't that fascinating? He's not a man that he should lie. That's pretty pejorative towards people, isn't it? It's a bunch of liars. That's who we are, apart from Christ. And we wrestle with it in Christ, but that's who men are. They, 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 they lie out of the womb, deceive as quickly as they can. They, before they can even give words to it, they lie in their behavior. He says, nor, is, nor Numbers 20 through 19, again, nor a son of man that he should repent. He has said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not make it good? First Samuel 15, 29, the glory of Israel will not change or, or will not lie or change his mind, for he is not a man that he should change his mind. Speaking of his eternal decrees, the thing that he has planned that will come to pass, he does not undo them ever. Now, so that's the truth that reflects the character of God. But truth, then, we, we understand, has to begin in our inner man as a result of this. It's not just external. The Pharisees, again, thought they could put truth external. Their hearts were full of dead men's bones. That is, the, the filthiness of sin that wasn't conquered. But you can't. Psalm 15.2, He who walks with integrity and works righteousness and speaks truth in his heart. Psalm 51.6, Behold, you desire truth in the innermost being, and in the hidden part you will make me know wisdom. No truth, no wisdom, by the way. You can't do anything wise unless you know the truth because you can't make the proper application to the principle. But that's in the inmost being. It works its way outwards, but it has to be in us. Truth begins in our inner man. Truth is to be expressed in every aspect of our lives. There's no place where we can say, I don't need to be truthful there. Ephesians 4.29, And put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Everything about you is to reflect truth. Your words, your motives, your actions, even your attitudes and, uh, and affections, all of those are to be truthful and directed truthfully. So we're to express truth in every aspect of our lives. We're to pursue the truth with reckless abandon. We're to do anything that we can to be sure that we are speaking truth and living truth and, and honoring truth. 2 Corinthians 4.2, Paul says, we've renounced the things hidden because of shame not walking in craftiness or adulterating the word of God, but by the manifestation of truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Did you hear that? By the manifestation of truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience, not only the speaking of the truth, but also the living of the truth so that men's consciences would, would match up what Paul was saying in the gospel with what he was living in his life and the conscience would not go off and say, whoa, he's saying something, he's doing another. In 1 Thessalonians 2, Paul constantly appeals to his character. He says, having thus a fond affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you had become very dear to us, right affection. For you yourselves know how devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we behaved towards you believers. The matching of the message of truth with a life of truth pursued by Paul purposely so that even men couldn't look and say, ooh, there's a disconnect. And when the church begins to do this, people begin to take notice. 
That's a truthful people. That's a people that fears the Lord because they choose to pursue truth even when it hurts, even when it's hard, even when they have to pay penalties. They pursue the truth because it is the nature of their God. We pursue it. Now also, of course, we must preach the truth. Ephesians 1.13, in him also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. The message of the gospel is the message of truth. We have to be sure we get it right. We have to understand what it means. We can't adulterate the gospel by telling people it means something it doesn't, even when we read them the same words. And tell them that they are in charge or, or, or that it's just simply that you just embrace Jesus for all the good that he has for you and that they don't understand sin and repentance and those things. We have to tell the truth when it comes to preaching the gospel, even as we live the truth in living the gospel. And when this is the reality, it is a powerful means that God uses to bring people to Christ. The Thessalonians are testimony to that. They saw the powerful work of God in Paul's life and his powerful preaching and they came to Christ. By the way, that's why so many children from Christian homes come to Christ. They see the powerful preaching of the word and teaching of the word, and they see the living of it. But unfortunately, it's often why, in certainly some subset of Christian households, that the children are turned off completely to the reality of the gospel, because what was stated with the mouth does not match the life. We have a powerful command and privilege to speak the truth, to live the truth, to pursue the truth, because our God is a God of truth. And then to finish out, Jesus just gives the flip side. He gives the opposite. So yes, yes, no, no. Clarity and truthfulness are essential. Anything beyond these is of evil. It's evil. It's, it's wrong. Both to make a false vow, to call into, into play some, someone less than God in making a vow, to do it frivolously, or to say anything at all that isn't true. It's not just, well, it's a little white lie. It's evil. A little misrepresentation. No, it's evil. Oh, I had my fingers crossed, so when I promised my brother or sister that, I don't really have to do it. I guess there's many nuances about telling the truth and how we work through those things. That, that's not part of our series this time. So there's much to be said, but fundamentally, Jesus' point is this. You always tell the truth. You never renege on that, and you do everything possible because anything else is evil. Now, you know this to be true. Lying and even the idea of, of oaths that, and lying under oath is a huge problem. Look at the absolute disintegration of our justice system. Why? Because no one tells the truth. No one. You get up on the stand and there's, I mean, there's just as much a, a chance that they're lying through their teeth as they are actually telling the truth. Somebody shows a video, somebody doctored the video. Even that doesn't do it. And so our justice system, there's many other reasons, but it is a primary one. It's disintegrating because no one can or will tell the truth. Where there is no truth, there is no justice. It's impossible. We're quickly headed in that direction. By the way, we've just had a very beneficial couple hundred years. In most countries, there has never been truth in the justice system ever. It's all on the basis of who has the most power, who has the most money, who knows who, or what providential circumstances happen at just the right moment so you get off. We have been tremendously blessed. And it's not as though we would let that go easily, but it is going. Because men are liars. And our, our, what fundamentally was underlying why you would even tell the truth is slipping away just as fast. Lying reflects the heart of Satan. It reflects the heart of Satan. John 8, 44. Just again, these are things you know, but if you've been allowing any sort of lying anywhere, any mis, what we call misrepresentations, white lies, outright blatant lies... 
of action or word, you need to understand that when and where you are doing that, where I am doing that, we are living like our father, the devil, or the one who was our father, if we're believers. John 8, 44, you are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning. He does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Understand that that's the nature you are reflecting when you lie. When you, when you change the truth subtly enough so that you look good and deflect it away so people can't get at, it, at what's underneath, knowing that you have misled them, you call it. You've acted like Satan. Oh, is he not the subtle deceiver who just puts a little truth or maybe uh, there's a whole lot of truth in a little lie and he, sh- he shifts it and moves it? Oh, you're acting no more like Satan at the moment that you do that. Young children trying to deceive your parents or your siblings, spouses deceiving one another, deceiving people in the church, because that's next. Lying destroys the unity of the body of Christ. Of course it does. Wherever we're not telling the truth, wherever we refuse to allow people to know what is actually true about us in the right ways, at the right times, I understand that. But if you are lying about who you are, lying about what you have done, you are destroying the body of Christ. Ephesians 4.25. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Can you imagine what happened if my eyes decided to start telling lies to my feet? So I'm walking towards the steps and my eyes are saying, there's no steps there. You don't got to step down, you're fine. <laughs> I've done that a couple of times, actually. <sighs> and even physiologically, you, would, you can get the picture of when things go wrong and they start sending wrong signals to parts in your body, start growing cancerous tumors that are not supposed to grow. You lie to your body, as it were, physiologically. You send the wrong signals, really bad things happen. You lie within the body of Christ, you start to destroy it, and you pull it apart. Because we have to be truthful. We have to, in every way, both in our promises that we make and the things that we say we're not going to do, in the way that we, we show ourselves to others, the way we hide ourselves from others. Those are deceitful things when we do that. Lying destroys justice, as we've already said, but a powerful verse here, Proverbs 25, 18, like a club and a sword and a sharp arrow is a man who bears false witness against his neighbor. It's like taking, taking a club and just clubbing him on the head with it. And by the way, lies cause death. Pictures of that in the Old Testament. Caused Jesus' death ultimately. Well, the truth of who he said he was was ultimately God's reason, but they were trying to bring him through lies. Lies, lies destroy justice. Lies perpetuate sin. I have the privilege of doing a fair amount of biblical counseling and I enjoy it. But you know how difficult it is when I've got two people, particularly when I'm doing marriage counseling or there's some dispute, I've got two people who are liars sitting in my office. One says it was this, one says it was this, it happened yesterday. And they can't tell the truth. I know people forget things and other things, but, but generally they don't even know the truth. And oftentimes they've been lying to themselves for so long that the moment they commit an act, they start lying to themselves in their mind about why they really did it. And then they start believing the very things they're lying about. And so I I can't even know. How do I solve a problem when no one can agree? You had this discussion yesterday. Well, he said this and she said this. No, he said this, she said this. What am I to do? Go fix it. Figure out what you actually said. Where did you actually sin? Because I don't know and you don't know. And they never fix it because they can't actually even understand what happened. At a fundamental level, just getting the facts right. It's amazing though. Sometimes I, I run into people who can tell me exactly what someone else did years ago. They did this, 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 this. They walked here, said this, did this, and they're dead on. And then I start to press them a little bit. What did you do in response? 
Now, I, I don't really remember. Well, did you do this sinful response? I don't think so. How did you possibly tell me with such intense detail about that, but you're lying about what you did? It's just a lie. Oh, I don't remember. Now, again, they might not actually remember, but they purposely chose to forget their own sin, so they end up lying to me. And those are almost impossible to undo. By the grace of God, they sometimes do. Start telling the truth. Tell the truth as one spouse to another. This is what actually happened. This is what we actually said. This is what we actually did. So you can fix the sin. Here's where the sin actually is. Stop lying to yourself about why you did it. And those are sometimes hard to undo. You need to go talk to someone because you believe that why you did it is a particular reason, and it isn't. So important. We've got to tell the truth, and you've got to know the truth. And all that comes through the principles of Scripture that we understand and learn and apply in our lives, and through the actual ability to see what's really happening in factual circumstances. Lastly then, and really kind of summing everything up, lying compromises the gospel, doesn't it? Lying compromises the gospel. Any area of deceit causes people to look and say, wait a minute, this God of truth and this word that you're telling me that is total truth, yet you and your own lifestyle and behavior refuse to tell the truth, and when you do and I confront you with it, you deny it? What kind of a God is that? How is this a message of truth when you won't be truthful? How is it that I can believe that Jesus died for my sins and gives me his righteousness and will grant me eternal life when you just lied to my face and didn't repent? Because you will lie, you will fail. But they ought to see you repenting when you do. If your life is built around misdirections and subterfuges and, and, and false images of who you are, so well, maybe Jesus is that way. He isn't, and thankfully, he is good and gracious and he works through us as flawed as we are. But you guys, it, it doesn't undo the fact that lying compromises the one thing that we must never compromise, the gospel, because it is the person and work of Jesus whom we love. And we would not want the world to think that he is less than total truth. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the privilege that we have to know the truth and the joy that it is that you, Lord Jesus, are the truth and that you, Spirit, guide us into all truth. I pray that we would live our lives in this way, pursuing truth with joy and delight, with hard work and with effort, with repentance, that we might be a holy, truthful church that does not vow falsely and does not speak falsely and does not live falsely. But instead, we are clear and truthful in our proclamation of the gospel, in our, in our commitments to others, in our daily conversation in our common daily conduct would help us to be a city on a hill when it comes to being truthful in a world that really knows only lies. Father, might that be a powerful means that you use for many to come to Christ. In your precious name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Thank you for joining us again on Grace Maryville Weekly. These messages are just a small collection of sermons that have been presented at Grace Community Church in downtown Maryville, Tennessee. If you would like to learn more about Grace Community Church, where Pastor Chris serves as an elder and pastor, please visit us online at gracemaryville.org. Again, that is gracemaryville.org. There, not only will you be able to find out more about the many ministries at Grace, but you will also be able to access 
a full audio archive of messages not only presented by Pastor Chris, but also messages presented to our women's ministry, youth ministry, and college-aged ministries, as well as the Sola and Essentials conferences hosted at Grace. We invite you to visit us online, and we hope that you will join us again next time as Pastor Chris continues to exegetically work through the book of Matthew. Until then, remember that Jesus is the King, and the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ.